You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 462, and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. And I'm your co-host, Nick Schwaderer. Hey, Nick, how are you? What is new in your world? I'm doing well, Brittany. I'm doing well. I guess one thing I'd love to share for the podcast today to kind of lead with is, I mean, I've made this joke. I'm like, what is Nick? Why would anyone ever talk to me on a podcast? Because everyone's like, oh, I own this project or I lead this team and I'm not sure. But I finally have a thing as of a few weeks ago or maybe a month or two ago called Scarpe. A Scarpe organization was taken. So we're Scarpe team. But to lead into the podcast here, Brittany, I might just do a quick rant on what the heck that is. Please. I am so interested in all of this. All right. If you want the timeline. There was a former teammate of mine, like literally a year ago, I did a demo day where we can talk about anything. And I did like five minutes on why the lucky stiffs shoes.rb. I know you know what that is for the, our listeners. Why wrote like in 2007, July of 2007, an amazing ahead of its time library and DSL for building desktop apps in Ruby back when like the ecosystem was pretty tricky. Why knew how to build a desktop app for Windows? for Mac and for a Linux machine, as good as we build web apps. And he came up with this idea that people should be able to write just a few lines of Ruby and be able to generate and package up a desktop application. So you could like this crazy idea where you could like build an, a useful app with Ruby easily with no context knowledge of like, you know, Windows and send it to like your grandmother who had a Windows machine and she would run it not having any Ruby. It's still amazing to me. Unfortunately, you know, BitRot was a big issue for this one in 2009, why left the community. And then there was shoes three, which was like the original shoes trying to go on. And then there's shoes four, which was an attempted rewrite and JRuby from like 2014 to 2018, it stopped getting commits. And we're kind of like in this weird space with it where you can't write shoes anymore. And I was writing shoes apps before I wrote any rails apps like 2014, it was still working. Oh, now, you know how long I've been writing Ruby as well. So we were sitting there. I gave this presentation. So basically 10 minutes of what I just said to you, but with pictures. And if you know Wise Poignant Guide to Ruby, he also wrote a guide for this called Nobody Knows Shoes that is just as beautiful and artistic and amazing as the like, Poignant Guide. Even if you don't use it, look that up. So this person, a bit more you know, in the know of modern technologies than me, thought, you know what, we can do this with WebView. And I didn't know much about WebView, basically HTML and JavaScript turning into a desktop application. But this is quite an interesting play because most of us kind of can grok HTML and JavaScript a little bit in CSS. And he just maybe less than a year ago made this shell with like a hello world for wise method para, which shows text. Like, hey, here's an idea of how we could build it out. Anyway, I started Hack Days at Shopify. We do it either every year or every three months. We'll randomly have a three-day hack days. And I led this one thinking I'd be going on my own and just trying to build on this and add more support for Wise DSL and then make it, you know, use a back end of WebView. I ended up getting 10 people. Uh, Drew Bragg hacked on it. Noah Gibbs hacked on it. We briefly had Colin Gilbert for a while, and we ended up with over 100 commits. So there's hundreds of examples of shoes apps that we're using as our testing to see if it's passing. And we've got about 40 desktop apps that work already with this code. Instead of it dying after hack days, we have a Discord. We have an organization on GitHub. We have monthly meetings. It's now a thing. And one of the big 
wins that we've had since is, you know, we've got a CI, we've got some testing, even though we want to make it better. And we've refactored it so that instead of it just being web view only, some other people had ideas about other ways to write this with Chromium, Electron. If no one's heard of Glimmer, it's been around a long time. It won the Fukuoka Award last year, and it is like probably the most mature Ruby ecosystem for writing desktop apps. But it's with their own DSL. It's not with Wise Flavor, right? Because Wise Flavor is what we're really trying to pursue here. So we've re-architected it to have, I don't like to say swappable backend, so I'll say different display services, <laughs> right? Like, so we extracted WebView into its own display service. And right now I'm working on a Glimmer LibUI display service. And that's quite exciting because now instead of going like Ruby to HTML, to JavaScript, to DOM, to desktop, this is just going Ruby to Ruby. It's kind of saying we want to capture, if you write a shoes app the way that Y thinks a desktop app should be written, it'll work. But then to make sure it's stable, maybe this display service will sit on top of Glimmer, which is really stable and well-tested and all that stuff. But you can still write it. You know, you want to be able to do it wise way and preserve it. Here's a TLDR for folks. It's an implementation of shoes. So if you think of Truffle Ruby, if you look inside of what Truffle Ruby is, it's its own thing. But you should be able to write any Ruby your own way and run it on Truffle Ruby. Similarly, with shoes, you should be able to write shoes the way that Y wants and run it on Scarpe, which is Italian for shoes. So that's where we came up with the name. And our little slogan is Scarpe DM sees the shoes. So there you go. <laughs> but I'm excited. It's a lot of work and I'm fighting to try and not do it during the day. This is my first time talking about it, hence the rant after months of like secretly hacking on it. And my hope is by the end of the year that we're talking about it more publicly, maybe do some CFPs for it present it more and make it so that this next generation of Rubyists have a really good tool to write desktop apps Y style, which if you've ever looked at a shoes app, it's really beautiful and intuitive. And he knew Ruby and he knew desktop apps, right? Is a really good combination. So that's what I've been up to. <laughs> I love this so much. I obviously listeners will know that I have follow up questions. So Nick, like you noted, there's been several different attempts to either upgrade shoes or refactor it or start it anew. What is it about Scarpe that is going to be successful in terms of like living out that shoes legacy? We're trying to start afresh. So, oh, it's a rewrite, right? No, it's a new implementation. So Shoes 3 had to deal with all existing code. So you'd have to write everything three times. I don't know under the hood with... JRuby and Shoes 4. And I don't want to cast any judgments as to why that never had a final release. So there's like eight release candidates for it. But I'm guessing it was a passion project that probably like we have energy right now, had lots of energy. And then after about a year, they went back to their normal lives, right? They couldn't maintain it, couldn't get it going. What's quite exciting for this is I'm trying to set up an organization and a team and a project that supports engineering interest and bandwidth. So allowing for multiple display services, if we find that WebView is far too painful, we don't have to abandon the project, but we can keep it and we can say WebView supports the WebView display service. We're currently up to like a certain percentage of compatibility. It's definitely an 80-20 rule or maybe a 99-1 rule where like getting most all shoes apps working won't take a lot of work, but then there's a lot of features 
that very few people use that go all the way down, you know, like drawing an oval for crying out loud. We don't support drawing ovals or anything at this point. But I think my X factor that I'd bring if I were to try and toot my own horn here, which is not comfortable for me, my X factor might be the community I'm trying to build around it and the people. Mm -hmm. So having the discord, having the fun, having the pairing sessions and trying to make this where if you come in, if you just want to write example shoes apps that pass our code, that's an acceptable and in fact, a desired PR because we want people writing shoes apps with this. If you want to go test existing examples that are in the directory not yet tested, so we have a few hundred of those, that's an acceptable PR. If you want to improve the CI, if you want to improve the docs, if you want to go off on your own and try to implement your own display service in Rust. So any level of skill background interest we're going to support so it's going to accept all the bandwidth even though i'm not writing all the code i have to safeguard the vision and safeguard mm -hmm. the engineers and their energy but today we support quite a bit and it's fun and i can use it now there's useful apps that people have built now for like making your laptop not sleep by clicking an emoji button or having it detect all the voices on your machine and you can click a button and have it read out something there's a lot to do but I'm super excited about it. But that's the great question. If this falls over and gets unmaintained, I think already it's at a point where there is some usefulness and I'm happy to keep exploring it. I'm going to get away from this idea of saying that it's done because shoes, unlike Ruby, doesn't have like a spec. You know, where mm -hmm. people say, oh, we passed Ruby specs or an official Ruby implementation. Nope. I've got about nine semi-canonical resources like manuals and docs that I have to try to kind of make work. And then I have a bunch of example apps that we try to pass. So we can't really say like, oh, this is shoes. But it's also a blessing. No one's using it. The guide is called Nobody Knows Shoes. And that's true today. Nearly nobody knows shoes. So there's not going to be someone out there be like, oh, I can't use this because it doesn't work with my shoes app. There are no shoes apps that are running. So that is our secret ace in the hole is we can say it's done and like no one's going to be able to prove us wrong. The traditional tool stack wasn't meant for this kind of hybrid work we're all experiencing now. Miro, on the other hand, was always designed for it. Designed to fit into your engineering workflow, not the other way around. Miro is an infinite digital whiteboard-like space where you can up your team velocity. Want to create user story maps? Prioritize your backlog? Organize tasks into sprints while connecting with your team? Miro's got tons of templates for that, no problem. Being able to shoot a link to a Miro board and bring other teams into the conversation especially for engineering teams like yours that want to bring in marketing or product, it'll completely change how you think. Miro also has integrations with tools you probably already use like Jira, Azure, and Rally. Import tasks from them as native cards to visualize the big picture. Draw dependency lines, manage workloads, and make adjustments on the fly to stay aligned and on track. Miro's estimation app also gives you a clear understanding of work scope and lets you identify gaps in analysis or understanding and set clear expectations for delivery. Head on over to Miro.com slash Ruby, that is M-I-R-O.com slash Ruby, to check out the Ruby on Rails podcast community board in action. Get to know us, the co-hosts, play some games, and leave feedback on this podcast episode with sticky notes, comments, reactions, and more. That's Miro.com slash Ruby. Thank you to Miro for sponsoring the show. Discourse is pretty famous for being used to like benchmark Ruby and Rails improvements. Is there like the discourse of shoes? Is there like that one shoes implementation that you run against where you're like, this is like the gold standard? Like if this one boots, we're good to go? Or it sounds like oh. you're fanning it across a couple of shoes applications. 
So there's hundreds of shoes apps. And by the way, send me your shoes apps at schwad underscore RB on Twitter. If you have any lost shoes apps over the years, please send them to me if they ever worked. I have a couple of my own. There's a lot of public ones, but I want real ones that you've used at schwad underscore RB. It's in the notes. But yes, Hackity Hack was a shoes app. I didn't actually get to use it, but Hackity Hack was the thing I built this for, which was a way that you could send an application to like kids and have them learn about and write Ruby on a machine that didn't have write Ruby. So if you go to like try.rubylang.org or whatever, that's inspired by Hackity Hack, but it would literally go in there and give you a little fake editor and you'd write Ruby and it would run and it would teach you things and you'd go through and you'd be running it on like a 2008 Windows machine for like an eight-year-old. So yes, if we can run Hackity Hack, which is like the most insanely massive shoes app I've ever seen in my life, it is a big beast. And there's no like idioms, like with rails, with controllers and stuff. It is just pure Ruby. I think Steve Klabnik, though, worked on it a lot. So I'm guessing it might not be as wild as pure Y. So we'll see. Yeah, that's the one that we got to pass. If we pass that, Brittany, we're definitely done. We're like, we'll have been done. <laughs> we'll have been done for like a year before we pass that. Because like mentally done, you know, where like anyone in the world could use it. I'd love to pass hackity hack. But yeah, that's kind of what I've been working on. And it's kind of nice to have a side hustle to get the juices going and kind of get the brain thinking and Mm -hmm. as well as work, isn't it? Absolutely. Now, before we move on to my side project, I had one last follow up question because I have to ask this, Nick. Okay. Is Wise GitHub handle still alive and would like the ultimate thing for you to get a star on Scarpe from Y? What would be the I need to just run outside screaming? I'm yeah. curious. <laughs> it's funny you say that. So on our Discord, we have an engineering channel called Ops-Fame, and it just gets webhooks from forks and stars. Now, the star is actually currently broken. We're getting that fixed. But whenever, in theory, we get a star or a fork, we get a little ping saying, hey, somebody forked it. Hey, somebody starred it. And we've got 17 stars, and I've never talked about it, which is crazy. But yes, if you want to know what my thing would be, it would be obviously wise gone and everything. But if there was just a little way, a little bit of information came out that like why was aware of this and was happy about it. Oh, my God, because I can't see who starred my project. I don't think unless there's something I'm missing, because I think starring's anonymous. You're unless, kidding. I did not know it was anonymous. I unless, definitely. Well, I unless, guess you'd have to follow them and then see it in their timeline. That's a good question. Anyway, I'll look into this. But yes, a star or something like a star. I I don't know how I'd verify like if there was like a one liner email, because I don't think there's any way to prove if something is why now. But yes, absolutely. If I just knew that the human being that was why and was aware of this in the universe and just sent like even a thumbs up level, like acknowledgement, (laughs) I would retire. I might give up Ruby, go live in the street, just be a happy person. It'd be the best thing that could happen. Well, I'm about to use you for a little bit of free consulting, Nick, because I'm just curious how you would approach a problem that I'm currently working on. I'm working on an application and it's using Andrew Culver's bullet train, which I cannot say enough good things about it. It's really fantastic. But I am running into an issue. So I'll set up the scenario. So I have users in my application that need to be authenticated and authorized to create content. So that's super clear. And Bullet Train by default uses device, which we all know and love. And now I'm running into a problem where I want to be able to generate some content 
And I want a one-time user to come in and approve that content. So my question for you is, is this a situation where now I've fallen outside of the Devise ecosystem and now I'm trying to customize Devise, which can be tricky? Is this a situation where I need to hand roll my own authentication because I'm really trying to do a one-time thing where... Is it secure to some email someone like a code in order for them to view a page? Or do I just like kind of say, screw it, and I make these one-time users real users, but just give them a role that is just like very low level? I want to make it as seamless as possible for these one-time users to like view the application, look at the content that they need to look at, be authorized to be able to approve the content, and really like they're done with the application after that. It's very flimsy in terms of like how much access they're going to need. Does that give you enough kind of background? Okay, cool. By the way, when I listen to Ruby or Rails podcast, this is my favorite kind of content to listen to. So I'm really (laughs) excited to be participating in it. Yeah. Caveats before I give my answer. Obviously, if I'd say the wrong thing, I'm sorry. So where I currently work, I'm lucky that I don't have to think about this as much because we have our internal tooling where like I can create a Rails app internally and I just like drop this thing. And I know with like no effort that like it will only be scoped to shop a folk who can use it. So I'm Mm -hmm. so blessed to be at a size where like I don't. But what if I write my own thing and I have this problem? I have before at other orgs and other projects. So what I would think you have a few options. I don't know if you're familiar or even the current state of can, 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 can Mm -hmm. community. And then there's also Pundit, but you can have user roles defined with that where you can give them limited abilities. So first off, you could just literally have a user role in the ability file and call it like temporary or whatever, one timer. Mm -hmm. And you could just give them like authority to go to like one controller action or something. I think it might be nice to have the record in your database, even if you only ever use them once, just for like visibility, like, oh, this is someone and they only existed for one day. Another thing you could do is have that record, have them defined as like one time user. You know, you're going to need a model or a class. It might inherit from user. I can't remember how to do that correctly through device, but I know they allow for it. Mm -hmm. And then you could have them like have one and you could call it authorization token or something. And Mm. then you could generate and then you'd have a record, which is one time token. And it would be like used Boolean, true or false, a default to false. And then it would have the token code, which would be like hex, huge thing. That's how you speak hex, by the way, people. You know what? I'm learning so much right now. (laughs) That's how you speak. Obviously, I've just said a 30 digit code there. So you do that and then send them the email and then say, hey, think about this, though. Like if you're worried about security, think about how many times Really big companies do this to you. Just send it maybe as a link. And then in that link, in the parameter is that 80 digit thing or 60 or 30 digit thing. Mm -hmm. And then when you hit the controller action, it'll do like find by, is there a token with, in fact, you could forget all the sign in with this because this will be tied to the user. So you'd say, is there a token with this code? Yes. Okay. Is the Boolean false for, has it been used? Yes. Okay. Is there a user? Yep. Okay. Grab that user. That'll be current user for this action. And then turn it to true, like turn that token to true. It's been used. And then it's like dead. But for your auditing purposes, you'll still have a record of when it was maybe do a used at have another column when it was used. So you can say, all right, I know Bill went there on Tuesday. 
because it, his token that's been used says Tuesday. Then the cool thing, Brittany, is you can actually then do more tokens if you need them to come back a second or third time in the future. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Honey Badger. The number one reason startups fail is that they run out of money. There are so many different ways for startups to lose money. Downtime shouldn't be one. Recent studies found that downtime can cost $427 per minute for small businesses and up to $9,000 per minute for medium-sized businesses. That is every single minute. A monthly subscription with Honey Badger helps you prevent costly downtime by giving you all the monitoring you need in one easy to use platform so you can quickly understand what's going on and how to fix it, which helps you stay in business. Get started today in as little as five minutes at honeybadger.io with plans starting at free. Link is in the show notes. So Bullet Train already uses can, can, can. So I was starting to go down that pathway, but I like the idea of the authorization token. My concern is that these one-time users are going to go through a whole rigor and roll of like creating an account and like making sure that I'm directing them to the page because really they just need to get to that page. And so if there's a way that I can do the authorization tokens through device, because I've learned very quickly, you either use device fully or you don't use device. It is a very robust Rails engine. And in terms of security and making things complicated, you really do not want to monkey patch device. It's it's just not a good idea. That's a really good point. So my context for what I just said is like where other people would know who the one-time users were. So say... Mm -hmm you're a business and you needed a one-time token for like an auditor to look at your internals, but just for one day. So like they would create these users themselves on their own dashboard. Oh, we have an auditor coming. Yep. Let's generate a token for Bill. All right, there you go. And so this is actually quite a different problem. So I might need to know a bit more about the business case. If it's somebody who is saying what their email is and getting the token. So maybe like you say, that is going through device as well. I'd say definitely advanced to intermediate device, but then combine it with can, can, can or the token if you need to, right? I think this puts me on a really good pathway to keep digging because I do really like the idea of being able to send someone a URL with the blah, 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 hash. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making that a thing now, Nick. I'm obsessed blah, with it. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> That's how we're going to say it from now on. But is there anything else, any other questions or thoughts you had with your side? Are you enjoying working on it? Oh, I am enjoying working on it. I say this so much on the podcast. It's important to me that I continue to write Ruby and that I write Rails. I'm an engineering manager, of course, as we all know, but it's important to me that I still stay in it. I will say my partner loves to point this out to me that I like to use the word Rubyist a lot. And he's like, you realize that you are the only language that does that where you identify yourself this way. He finds it very funny because he's been working so much on his own Mastodon instance. And like, this is his... First experience writing Ruby and he's like, you all are just so protective being <laughs> Rubyist. And I was like, yeah, damn right. <laughs> oh, it's totally true, right? I think early in my career, the minute I got senior in my title, I'm a senior software engineer. I'm senior, I'm senior, I'm senior. But like the further I got, I'm like, no, I'm just a Rubyist. And then I see people who are like senior staff principal and they just say Rubyist as well. Like they're shunning the title. So like at Shopify, for example, on Slack, you can't edit your job title, which I think makes sense. So mine says something normal. So I was like, dang it, I want to say that I'm a Rubyist though. And there's no way. The way I hacked it is if you go into Slack for our setup, there is an optional field. So like, you know, for your little Slack profile, Mm. 
And one is name pronunciation. For example, on my team, Ufuk, he has written out phonetically Ufuk. However, here's one UI hack on that. When you look at someone's profile, it doesn't say name pronunciation colon schwad, Ufuk. It just says the pronunciation with no label at all. Do you see where I'm going with this? Oh, yeah. So my name pronunciation is Rubyist. So then <laughs> the rendering is Nick Schroeder, senior production engineer, Rubyist. <laughs> I love that so much. It is so on brand for you, Nick. That's what I am. That's what I'm going to be. <laughs> the end. So speaking of Rubyist, you got the opportunity to do the very coveted Sandy Mex workshop. So I want to hear just all about it because that is something I've always wanted to do. Yeah, shout out to Shopify for investing and getting a Sandy Metz workshop, like quite a few of them going internally. We have thousands of Rubyists and giving the opportunity to work with Metz directly or in my case, remotely is really cool. I got put on a wait list for a European Sandy Metz workshop half a year ago or more. And then I found out I was taken off the wait list. I was put in and yeah, for four days. There's about 15 of us. I'd pair with three different people for like seven hours each day, three different people each day, very full on. I don't think it's a spoiler to say like a lot of our focus was 99 bottles of OOP, Mm -hmm. which to quote my friend Noah Gibbs is like poetry and it's good any point in your career. It's very good to work through. But also we had dedicated time with Sandy every day. And Sandy is getting up at like 3 a.m. her time to like meet us in the morning. And I could listen to Sandy Metz talk Ruby just endlessly. And it's not just for fun. I just feel like the way Sandy talks through things, it's very high scientific mind, no negativity, no assumption, just very open, but very factual about where she lands on things, but also acknowledging pros and cons. Yeah. I feel like I could do it all over again as well and just keep topping up that context and experience. But it was, yeah, it was really good. I hopefully came out of it a slightly more enlightened Rubyist. It's good for us to keep honing our craft because I think my great fear is when people ask how long you've been doing Ruby, it's a lose-lose because either they're going to think, oh, they haven't been doing Ruby very long, or they're going to think, wow, why aren't you better at Ruby because of how long you've done it, right? So I'll say right now, I could definitely write Ruby for 10 more years and not get any better. And that's something I'm conscious of every single day. Absolutely. And to be honest with you, like I respect Sandy Metz so much. I mean, absolute gold standard in terms of conference talks. I remember Sandy talking about how many hours she would put into her talks and you could tell just like knew every single beat, every single word by heart. It was just absolutely incredible. I actually don't know what Sandy has been up to since 99 Bottles. So I'm glad to hear that workshops are still happening. It does like kind of like gently remind her that I need to like check up and see like what Sandy's up to because I'm just always so impressed with her work. Sandy's the best. And I've been recommending her work to even people who are getting into programming, not in Ruby, because I think it's just really good concepts to have. And like, it's good to challenge yourself taking on new things and finding new ways You know, you could do that through side projects, side hustles. You could do that. Obviously, workshops are great. Conferences are great. Different roles and things are great. But yes, that's kind of what's been going on in my world. Any other things happening in Brittany land that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, I've got a little bit of news. By the time this episode publishes, I will be in my last week at Texas. So Uh it's definitely bittersweet. I'm moving on to a new opportunity that I will be sure to share with everybody once that starts. Nick is someone who has left jobs before, like most of us. 
it's hard because you make a lot of personal relationships with the people that you work with, even though you're remote. It always makes me laugh. These people will come to me and be like, well, you couldn't have been that close. You work remotely. And it's like, no, I'm actually closer to these people because I work remotely because it's so easy to reach out to them and have those conversations, even if they're asynchronous at times. As listeners know, I came into Texas writing code halftime and got promoted to engineering manager. I was managing three people when I arrived and I currently manage 14. 13 out of those 14 people are people that I personally hired. So it's awesome. And I feel like I'm really getting to that point in my career where it's not goodbye. I'm very happy with what I'm doing. Like I want to continue being an engineering manager. I want to continue working in a rail stack. And for some of these people, it's see you later. Mm. We're building up our networks of people that we want to work with again. Absolutely. And all the best to you, Brittany, with this change. And I think I'm also very grateful in your career, how open you've been about these things, because I think it's important for our listeners and some of the Ruby podcasts to be open, because these are all things that we all go through and being able to hear someone else who's been through it and why and kind of the experience, because I think maybe it never gets easy, right? But maybe like things get more Is the word familiar? Like, oh, I've seen this beast before. I've gone through this challenge before. So I know I'm a bit more aware of what it's like the more times you do it. But still, like, you weren't there six months. You were there a while, right? They were part of your daily life and your routines and relationships in your life. And like you say, with being remote, I go into this room in my house and I'm with all these people all day. You know what I mean? Yeah. On the subject of more ridiculous things that my partner can say that I've said, When I joined Texas, I said, this is going to be the job. I'm not going to make any friends. I'm going to come in here and be professional and like not form those relationships. And like that quickly went to went to hell very quickly. So We're Rubyists, right? And, you know, this was my first time managing folks that write React. And I adore those people as well. And so, of course, I'm going to form relationships with those people. First of all, I think you're very kind and personable and just congenial person, right? Like who wouldn't get along with you very well? And also, if it was the olden days and I could only work in Belfast, I could only work within five miles of my house, then I'd probably be working on a tech stack I didn't enjoy very much and secretly loving Ruby in my private time. And I don't actually know a lot of people in Belfast who say lots of nice things about Ruby. So that would be my life, right? So I'd probably have a little more distance with them, even though I'd physically see them go to the pub with them because from work. But now that I can kind of try and pick roles that are a bit more suited to my interests. So for me personally, that's like, I'd like to be around people who like Ruby, please. Mm -hmm. And over my career, I'm getting more and more in common with my peers than I probably would if I was in my town only. So that does make the relationship closer. I know sometimes you have guidance or advice or thoughts for our listeners who are either considering a new role as something you've done a lot of. Do you have anything, any learnings for this round that yeah, you found I helpful? Mean, I would say probably my most famous conference talk is the one from 2019 RubyConf Nashville. Hire me. I'm great at quitting. So <laughs> remember, and Nick, I got that idea from you from a podcast episode. So I am indebted to you for that because that was a situation where we were talking about it on a show and you're like, that would be a great conference talk. And I was like, it would be a good conference talk. So I appreciate you nudging me that way. So there's a lot of good advice in there that I'm going to link up in the show notes, but it is funny. You can write out your own advice, but sometimes it's hard to take your own advice. 
I said, I have all these steps in terms of like how you approach, but like just actually doing the quitting part, just know that you're going to ruin your boss's day. And if you're someone like me who doesn't like to create unnecessary conflict, you feel really guilty doing it. But I read advice online that said people quit their jobs every day. This is something that happens all the time across every industry and it's okay. And I mentioned this on the last episode, but really my attitude going into 2023 is you need to look out for yourself. One of my coworkers said to me, like, your job is not a family, it's a community. And I think that has been really helpful for me because I've worked at jobs where like you were quitting family and that was considered like unacceptable. And that's not a good environment to be in. You want to join a community when you're joining a job because people come and go from a community, but they're in a community for a specific reason. And when I keep that kind of stuff in my head, it helps a lot. And then, of course, I always have my cheesy Peloton slogans that help as well. It's tough, but you're tougher. I'm used to doing hard things. Like those are the kinds of things I like to keep in mind as I'm making transitions. But once I switch to the new role, then I can feel genuinely excited. Yeah, I think that's a a really good point. And like, first of all, one thing I wanted to say on the side is transferring job as well. Like there's going to be so much hyper learning that happens in that first six to 12 months on a new role, which is almost, it's really exciting. And then the other thing that you'd said about the community versus family, I've been feeling that because I've not been at an organization this large and there might be work sometimes where I'm on a particular project and I am seeing one or two people that I hadn't seen before for like, two, four, six, eight months, like every day, having socials with them, working really hard, really getting to know them in their lives, and then never seeing them again. My team is my team, but sometimes I have inter-team projects where I get to know someone really well. So I've had to get used to this idea of like, I can't just hold on to all these people and like have recurring video calls with them. They live in other countries. So Mm -hmm. it hurts a little bit for me to like sometimes be like, all right, well, have a good weekend and be like, I will never see you again. You know, but like... (laughs) In my own job. So I've kind of realized there is a separation between community, which that person was in the community. If I see them on a PR two years from now, I'll be like, hey, Bill. But like, and then there's friends and some of them may actually be through work, but that's a very small number. And then there's family, which is my family's my family. And I've tried to, in this remote world, invest a little bit more in my own physical geography, like my town, try and like get out and maybe get to know someone who lives in my town. But yeah, it's good to have that separation. And I can't wait to hear how your journey is and how it goes. And I think our listeners feel the same. It's really exciting. Thank you so much, Nick. I'm excited and I'm looking forward to sharing that news soon. So with that, I think we will wrap this and I will wrap it by saying Scarpe Diem, seize the shoes. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. You've been listening to the Rupion Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.